If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer with UK thrash band Acid Rain or by my podcast, Talking Bollocks. Um, You'll see my name in the description of this podcast is highlighted. That's because it's a link straight to my podcast where you can subscribe and listen to over 100 interviews with the great and the good of heavy metal. But here, I am your guide around this virtual museum that we have built of motorhead anecdotes stories and tales from from the past um it's really gathering pace now we've got uh, we're gonna have to add another wing onto this virtual uh, museum i think anyway welcome back if you are returning and welcome for the first time if it's your first listen um wherever you're listening to this on whatever device you're listening you'll see a button called subscribe click that if you haven't already subscribed if that button says subscribed well done um if it doesn't then please do subscribe and you will get one of these lovely motorcasts into your device every time we release one So make sure you do that and spread the word. So on to this week's guest. Uh, Today's guest is Alan Hungerford. Um, Alan grabbed me backstage at the Bloodstock Festival this year, which is our first gig out of lockdown. And um, he uh, grabbed me backstage and said, you want me on your podcast? And I was like, oh, really? Why is that? And he said, I was Lemmy's personal assistant for many years. And I thought, he's right. Yeah, definitely need to get him on the podcast. And eventually we made it happen. So firstly, Alan, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you doing this. That's all right, Howard. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Looking forward Excellent. to uh, 2022 and the return of touring, hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes. Now... Usually, I start the motorcast with, you know, how did you first hear of Motorhead? How did your love of Motorhead start? Now, what I don't know, so I'm going to ask, were you a Motorhead fan before you got the job? Not at all. Um, right. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad I didn't Lemmy. ask then. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's really funny. Um, I met Lemmy when I was 15 outside the Cambridge Corn Exchange when I was working for HMV. Rather, I was right. walking to work. And I, that was my first interaction with him. And I left HMV and I went to work for Machine Head for a number of years. Ah, right. Um, what were you doing with them? Started off as their assistant, ended up as tour managing, um, moved out to the Bay Area. Um, nice. And left Machine Head 2011? 10. 10. Um, I was living in Holland, moved to Holland for a while. And then I went to see Michael Bublé, of all people. A friend of mine was working for him. And she said, oh, I know someone who needs someone on Motorhead right now. Um, are you available? And I was like, what's the job? Was, Lemmy's PA, bit of security, looking after him and just seeing, just making sure he, he functions every day. Oh, okay, so I had a chat with... Uh, the tour director at the time, Roger, and he rings me up and asks me a load of questions about whether I had a drinking problem or a drug problem or anything along those lines, to which I, 
I don't drink. I don't do any drugs. He goes, well, this will be fun for you. We'll see you in a week. <laughs> so I, that was it. And I flew into London for um, pre-production rehearsals. And I turn up at a hotel, which wasn't the hotel, which was Lemmy's regular hotel. And I'm, I'm sat in the lobby and I'm wearing a black polo shirt, suit jacket, pair of jeans. And I stand up and Roger takes me over, introduces me to Eddie and the tour manager. And then Lem comes in and Lem just looks me up and down. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, good. I'm glad you don't dress like a cunt. And he walks <laughs> off. And that was it. And I was like, and so he walks off to the bar um, and I'm stood there, not quite aghast, but just like, Roger's like, that's fine. And Eddie's like, no, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm like, okay. So we, me and Lem become acquainted. Yeah. And it was just one of those things, you know, we, we, we sat at the bar for a couple of hours talking um learning a bit about each other understanding how little i knew about motorhead um which he found very amusing um (laughs) we just talked shit for a while we spent a lot of time together we spent the week at string fellows um we did the (laughs) album launch party at string fellows that week peter Stringfellow became my friend which was rather strange um yeah and Myself and Lemmy just became acquainted and I got used to his routine and that was it. Right. And then we went straight into a typical Motorhead winter tour of 35 odd shows across Europe, which was a lot of fun. So, so which, at what point... Um... Did you know you'd got the job or did you think you'd got the job or secured the job or, you know? It was, it was, to be honest, it was probably from the first moment Lem and I met because Eddie was like, well, you said he likes you. And I was like, he said six words to me. Like, <laughs> but, you know, we sat down, we went through, you know, the, 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 the things which we'll be doing on a daily basis. Um, yeah where I'd need to know about, where we'd be going, various friends and connections who I'd have to be in touch with quite regularly. Um, And, you know, Tim Butcher was giving me a pile of stick for being too young (laughs) for quite a while. And and Victor, I don't know if you've spoken to Victor, who came in to look after Mickey and Phil at the same time as I came in. We were both, you know, hazed, I suppose, would be, Right. The term, yes. So it was. It was just. It you know you get to the we got we got through the tour. No, you know, no real issues. Um, and sort of you know I think. I think a lot of roadies that they're waiting to make sure they've got the next tour because you know there's there's no contracts in place. It's just you're as good as your last tour. Yeah, yeah. And before we'd even finished, Lem was like, "Look, see you in January." get you straight out to the States, you know, get your work permit done. You're in. And uh, once that work permit was done, I knew there was no turning back. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Just having that first tour, just, you know, working for such an icon, you know, the fans, 
the super fans, the, you know, the prestige of working with Motorhead was a, it was a lot of fun. And it must have it, nothing... it, it, it must have been a lot of fun, but it but then it must have also presented some fairly unique challenges as well. I, I got to a point where you don't really sleep a lot. <laughs> um, Lem's lifestyle wasn't conducive to sleeping. Um, yes. Yeah. He's, I mean, he was he was up till very late slash. Well, early mo- early most early. nights after show, myself and him would either be in a casino or in a in a dancing establishment till the till the the latest hours we could possibly be. Yeah. To then get on the bus, head to the next, to head to a hotel where you get two hours, you know, a lot of the Motorhead shows, they, they weren't massive distances apart, so you don't really get your head down on the bus. Yeah. You then get to the next venue, and I'm someone who likes to go in, understand the venue, know where the dressing room is, what's going on. Yeah, and, yeah. And Emma, yeah. Emma, who was um, production assistant or production coordinator really i mean she her role she, she did so much to make our lives easier like we'd get there the dressing rooms were ready to go like we didn't have to worry about it but victor and i would be like we just like some sleep occasionally and yes you know we, we'd have like at the, at the start victor and i were, were asked to share a hotel room and i'd be out all night then he'd be out all day with phil and mickey Neither of us would ever get any sleep when we got a hotel room. So we ended up, that didn't work. So we ended up in our own hotel room so that we could try and establish some kind of rest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just. So are you, the, are, are you shadow? So you're, are you shadowing Lemmy? So you're literally, everywhere. you, you sleep when Lemmy sleeps and you get up when Lemmy gets up. Yes. And right. when on show wow. days, I'd have to get up two hours before Lemmy would get up. So if you're getting to the venue, you're getting to a hotel at seven in the morning. Yes. Lemmy would then want to sleep, and he wants to be, he'd, be, he'd want a wake up call two hours before, to and then an hour before, and then <laughs> so then fifteen minutes before you're due to go, you need to be re- with him ready to go. Yeah. So there, there was no sleep. It was just there was literally no sleep till any venue, not just no sleep till Hammersmith. <laughs> there was no sleep till anywhere. There, there so, must have been there must have been hotels where you where, where you're walking in and you think, I don't is that me? Is that me walking out? <laughs> like yeah. You know? it, 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 <laughs> You know, three hours in a hotel room on a show day, yeah, was was pretty pointless. But you know, you got used to it, um, and it was, you know, you got to a point where every now and again, Lemmy would want a couple of days to just chill out and sleep. So it'd be quite nice. You'd be able to get your head down and eat some regular food and not do a lot else. Do your accounts and make sure everything was totting up and do some deal with some receipts and get on with the the next few shows um yeah you know it was yeah there was there, there were moments where you're just i am dead on my feet but you know that was it i, I set let me had his own ringtone on my phone <laughs> so if basically if anyone else rang me at night my phone didn't ring yes. unless it was lemmy yeah and it was, you know, you sleep with your phone next to your pillow anyway when you're on tour. You know what it's like on a bus. Yeah. Your phone's always there. It's always on charge. You just be like, yeah, what do you, what, what do you need? And you just, you know, it, it was never, he was never, he was never selfish about it. He was never greedy about it. it you know, he knew that I'd do whatever needed doing. Yeah. Um, 
whatever need you're dealing with got dealt with. Um, What it sounds like is that it was it was a very demanding job, but he wasn't demanding. Oh no, he he was demanding. (laughs) Right, okay. (laughs) But it it wasn't he wasn't asking for blue M and M's. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was nothing like that. Like if he had he had his set, like I said, Emma dealt with a lot of the day to day, like the, the rider stuff. We knew exactly that everything he needed would be in the room. When we got to the shows, my job was taking it away to make sure he had it on the bus, in the hotel, to try yeah. and just keep it moving constantly. So it yeah. never, ever, it never ended. Every day was exactly the same. Yeah. And, that's... and as long as he was happy, everyone else was happy. So, I mean, I can just imagine getting home from tour. You must have, like, slept for weeks. Um, the first tour, yes, but then I moved straight out to America, um, out to LA. I was um, living three blocks from him. And then on the gaps between tours, we'd just hang out and keep doing the same. Right. Okay. So, you so, became, that, that so was, that's how you transition. Is that how you transition from sort of kind of personal assistant sort of tour part yeah, of the so tour just being, as in just, just being a um being, how would you describe being, it a bodyguard no i was never really a bodyguard i mean there was a couple of couple of little funny situations we had to deal with but like generally like lemmy was lemmy was pretty well respected to the point where he didn't really need a, a gorilla stood next to him um yeah. you know i can i can handle myself but it's very rare that i ever had any issues with anything like that we had a a fun day in Barcelona, which was, he rang me at about 11 in the morning and said, I want to go to an antique shop. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, how far is it? He goes, oh, I've looked it up on Google Maps, which was always a bad idea, let me in Google Maps. And he said, it's about a 20 minute walk. I was like, okay. So we, we come out of the hotel, we walk onto Las Ramblas and it's the only time I ever went out with him during the day, properly out. Um, and within, 10 minutes we had a huge crowd around us wow like just huge and then i see these two spanish police piling through the crowd like, oh thank god for that and get us back to the hotel these two spanish police just wanted their picture with lemmy they got their picture <laughs> off again i'm just like brilliant yeah thanks guys yeah cheers for that and so we, we eventually got to the antique shop and it was closed oh well so of course we you went in the we- afternoon in spain Go figure. Yeah, I, I I didn't think about it, and uh, <laughs> you know it was just it was one of those things. And normally, like a lot of the places, a lot a lot of the antique shops we'd go to, like we'd, we'd ring ahead. He was like, no, no, let's just take a wander. It's a beautiful day, and it's, yeah. it's only close. It's a nice walk, and we'll, you know, not a nice walk. <laughs> Carnage from within three five minutes of leaving the hotel. Um, eventually they- got there, and, and it was shut. It was. Oh. <laughs> Right. But there's 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 a kind of there's a kind of really endearing naivety to that though that Lemmy's like oh but it's a lovely day we'll go for a walk completely almost completely forgetting that yeah but you're Lemmy you do realise it's probably not going to be a lovely walk and I, you know I I've done similar things with like Corey from Slipknot we'd we'd gone out in Berlin a number of times during the day and it's never really an issue like you know hoodie you yeah. know walking around like Lemmy would dress exactly the same as what he does on stage yes yeah and i've yeah. got you know the first one's a double take then it's then it's a crowd so yeah, yeah but that was, that was you know it was fun but uh so that was 
one, it was the only, it was that, there was that, and there was a, there was one time at Brixton Academy where Lemmy had insisted on dry, on being the wrong side of the stage door and sitting in the back left passenger seats, whereas normally he'd go behind the driver. And if you know Brixton Academy, I'd get out, I'd open the door, the door creates a barrier yeah. to the venue and I'd stand the other side and he'd just walk in. Yeah. And he got out passenger side and this, this Italian guy just wouldn't leave him. It was, it was December snowing Lem was on the verge of a little bit of coldy flu and if he was stuck outside for too long it turned quite quickly for him um and it was just i just wanted to get him inside this guy just wouldn't stop harassing lemmy for a picture i said look we're not gonna do pictures now we'll do pictures inside once i've got him inside everyone here will get their picture and this guy went tried to go through me to get to lemmy and uh, I sort of picked him up and put him in this fence. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, fair enough. He just, he just, I said, look, he, he wouldn't wait. Yeah. Right, so, yeah, was there, I, that was the only real time I had any kind of issue with anywhere. Like, yeah. you know, casinos, no one's allowed to take fit pictures anyway. Um, so you've got pretty much privacy. Dancing establishments, not too many people have their phones out. Um, Funnily enough. Funnily enough, so yeah. it was always a, a good night out, and the rest of the time you're on stage or in a dressing room. And you know, we did a we did a show in the states somewhere where there were 300 people waiting outside the bus after the show. Right. And Lemmy was like, "I'll take pictures with all of them, but we're doing right. it on the bus." <laughs> so myself, myself, and Victor did like one on one off for the best part of. Three and a half hours, probably. Bloody hell. Because Levy wanted everyone to get the picture. Yeah. All, he said they've all, they've all come to the show, but, you know. Yeah. They've all come to see us. Yeah. We'll do pictures. That's an astounding yeah. level of commitment, isn't it? It, it? Like, and this was one of, the, uh, one of the many lessons that he taught me was the respect for people, not just people who worked for him, but for fans as well. Like, he goes... You, he's like, you would have a fucking job, Alan, if it wasn't for the fans. I wouldn't be on stage if it wasn't for the fans. Yeah. So, and he would do everything. Like, everyone who turned up with, like, you could turn up with every Motorhead CD ever, and he would sign all of them. Like, if you turned up with 10 of the same pictures which were all going on eBay, he wouldn't sign them. Yes. Simple yeah. as that. Like, yeah. if you've got, you know, I mean, let's be honest, Motorhead's back catalogue and discography, I mean, I, I'm sure you've spoken to some of the super guys, but like that, you know, hundreds of versions of formats of, yeah, yeah, you know, albums. And they'd turn up with all of them. People would show up with 10, 20, 30 items and then be like, yeah, just bring them in. We'll get them signed. You give them back to them later. Yeah. Every, every day was the same. It was, it was really nice. Yeah. Um, and that, that didn't stop till, till the very end. Like, but that that's that's really cool though because there's like there's a there's a there's a like a circular dedication going on there. There's these yeah. the fans who are so dedicated to Motorhead and 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 Lemmy who's equally as dedicated to the fans. And it's like yes. one one begets the other, hundred percent. And I think that's the same with all, pretty much any band that it should be like that. Yeah, but this let's was, face, this was... yeah, let's face it. Unfortunately, it isn't. You know. <laughs> You know, there are there are people out there who, um, you know, they get to a certain but stage. This was and it's before like, the yeah. days of paid meet and greets as well. There were no paid meet and greets. Like, yeah, you know, it, 
I, I've been following bands since I was 13 years old. I used to hang around the back of venues waiting for that chance to get yeah. a guitar pick or, you know, a photo or something signed or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so when you see these people outside venues at, you know, four in the morning in the snow, like, I'm not going to leave you out there. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm at least going to get you a coffee. <laughs> You know, yeah. or we had a, we had a, I think it was Southampton Guildhall. This kid was sat in the hallway um, without a pass. He had no backstage pass on him. I'm like, can I ask who you're here with? And he's like, oh, I just kind of wandered in the back door, um, hoping I might get to meet the guys. Respect for that is due. So we had a, we, I took him through to the bar. I said, sit here, have a drink. Don't cause any problems. I'll get you a sticky. Hang out. Not guaranteeing you'll meet anybody, but we'll see what happens. So, and Len was in a good mood. He came through to the bar. I know. I know. Mickey and Phil both went through there. The kid met everybody. Yeah. He had a great time. Left happy. Yeah. You know, you know those fans make it made it worthwhile. Yeah. Um, you know, and I made a lot of good friends out of some of the fans. A lot of them who I'm still in touch with. Some who come to Bloodstock every year. Some who've been going to Bloodstock for longer than I have. And some, and presumably, like some that you would, you would, you'd see at like multiple, multiple shows. So this is how friendships yeah. build. This is how friendships build up well, yeah, over, like, over you know, tours. The the, the 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 five or six English Motorhead super fans, uh, and the Dutch one, um, I'm still in touch with on a regular basis. Um, I'd need information and advice on various releases and have you ever seen this? Is it a bootleg? Lemmy wants to know about this. So those right. guys became really good friends. And like, you know, I, I host as many of them at Bloodstock who want to come now, you know, it's like when, when Phil called myself and Vicky, um, when Lem's health started to, to, to deteriorate, he said, I want to come and play Bloodstock. And I said, who with? He goes, don't know yet. Do you want to give us a <laughs> slot? And I said to Vicky, like, Phil Campbell wants to come. And I said, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And he had no idea who was in the band at this point. No right. idea what they were going to play. Um, a, a friend of mine designed their first logo for them, which was the big circular Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons one. Like, because he didn't have anything. Yeah. And he, go, he, he goes, right, it's me, me, the boys, a couple of friends, we're going to do Motorhead, Sabbath and Maiden covers. How's that? Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> but like, you know, the, the super fans all came up for that and hung out and made it. I mean, we, we put him on, on what was the Jägermeister stage, which is an outdoor tiny pop-up bar. Yes. The bike rack barrier. Yeah. Um, Chris Jericho, Fozzy, sang with him as well on the same day. I don't, even, I don't even remember who was on the main stage at Bloodstock at the time because Phil had such a huge crowd around this tiny little tent. It was just That's insane. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, it was just like, well, let's just, let's just do it. So that was, you know, I'll, I'll take my credit where it's due for helping <laughs> Phil create his, uh, he, he owes his you side e project. He owes you everything. <laughs> oh, Phil, Phil, Phil owes me nothing. Like Phil, yeah. when, uh, Phil and I have stayed very close, more more so over the last few years than probably when I was working with him. 
Um, yeah. You know, we, we, Phil and I had a great relationship the whole way through it. Um, and now he's just, he's part of the family. Like, you know, he's, yeah. you know, I, obviously I met my wife to be when I was working for Motorhead because she, she, Vicky, who promotes Bloodstock or owns Bloodstock, she was, she just booked Motorhead in 2010 for 2011. Yeah. And I met her, her sister, her dad, the whole family at a show on that tour because her father had done a piece of artwork that was actually rejected for Stank Bite Love by the label. Ah. Um, I'll send you a picture of it later so you can put it on. Yes. Or yeah, please Great do. piece of artwork. And this, this, this huge oil painting was sat in the uh, dressing room and me and Lem got there. Lem was like, what the fuck is this? I said, I don't know. I'll go and find out. So I spoke to him. He goes, yeah, it's the promoter of the festival that you're headlining next year. And he did this. And he goes, I've never seen it before. He goes, this is so much better than the actual artwork. <laughs> and apparently the label had just rejected it. Yeah. No, so I'd met, I'd met Vicky then. Um, and she was, you know, we, we, we ended up starting seeing each other about four months later. Um, and then she was coming out to shows regularly and hanging out with me and Lem and just generally causing trouble. Her and Phil became friends and, Phil has an unhealthy relationship with her chest, which I still find hysterical. So, <laughs> as, I'm know, sure, as, I'm, as I'm sure Lemmy did as well. Lem was actually, Lem was super respectful. And he did a, right. he did a video for our wedding, um, which was, well, it's going to be far easier for you than it is for her. Because my <laughs> God, does that woman know how to wear a pair of jeans? And you, well, you're just you, Alan. So uh, good job you it. don't. Good job you don't dress like a cunt. Good, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, but he was just like it, it, you know. He whenever she was coming into town, like you know, he'd give me the night off. We wouldn't go out because knowing I hadn't seen her for a couple of months. Or oh, that's really nice. You know, that's he really really, you know he'd make me take her for food or whatnot, and it, it, oh, he was so good. And then if you know anything about Motorhead's worst ever show, that was at Bloodstock. It was just. Uh, a disaster from start to finish. It was a bad show. Lem was sick. Um, tempers were frayed by the end of it. And uh, we left that night and Lem wasn't fit to fly home to LA the next day. And right. uh, I had to ring Vicky, said, I'm not coming home today. She went, fucking good. Great, I'm glad you're not coming home. You had one job, which was to make sure that he was healthy and on stage and you couldn't even keep him, keep him fit and healthy. I was like, he had flu. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. So yeah. So and you know, Vicky and I got married um, a year after that. Um, and yeah, Lem was always a part of it. Yeah. Um, and that video, that video he made. Um, do you do you, do you do you still have that video? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. That must be that's that must be a real tearjerker. Yeah, and. There's a lot of tear-jerk moments with Lem for me personally. Like I was going through some boxes of old tour stuff a couple of weeks ago, and he'd given me a he'd given me a Stephen King book, um, which I, I actually have in the bookcase behind me. And he, you remember when you were at school, you used to write the name on the side of your book, you know, and, he, and he and he did it. He wrote Lemmy down the side of it in huge letters, <laughs> motorhead style, but he'd actually written me a message inside the book, which I've never seen. Oh, no. And um, he goes, 
You should read this. It'll stop us watching all the shit we watch on the bus late at night. <laughs> and I was like, oh. yeah, maybe I should now. So I have. It was. It, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not Stephen King's biggest fan. I find I'm an absolute pussy when it comes to anything horror related. So, um, but yeah, it, it it has been read now, and uh, it was. Uh, yeah, it's just it was nice finding that message. Yeah, and it was just like yeah. you know. Even after death, he's still giving me a hard time. <laughs> um, and, and and speaking of which, I mean, it, it must. I mean, you know, to a lot of people listening, your job will either sound like like you know the best job in the world or the worst job in the world. Um, yeah. And and towards the end, it must have it must have really become very difficult. So I, I actually left a year before he got really poorly. Right. Um, my right. health, I gained an inordinate amount of weight, eating too much shit, trying to stay awake to keep up with him. It was either that or get on the get on the magic powder to to stay awake late, which is not yeah. Yeah, so basically I I I stepped away. I've been offered a job doing consultancy um, with some freight companies for bands. And it meant Vicky and I were getting serious by this point and it meant that I could move in with her. Um, so I stepped away reluctantly and uh, replaced myself with the wonderful Steve Luna, who still a very, it was a good friend before, during and after. Um, and I stepped away, but Lem and I stayed in touch, you know, at least three, four times a week. We were yeah. abusing each other in, in some <laughs> format. Um, we used to play a lot of words with friends on the iPhone and, uh, I would get my ass handed to me regularly or day, daily. In fact, we'd be, we'd, we'd be playing like 20 to 30 games at a time. And he just, his vocabulary was incredible. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I learned a lot of, I'd, I'd be like, you're making that up. And then he'd just text me using the word in a sentence. And I'm just like, how do I keep up with this? Um, so yeah, you, so we, uh, I saw even, him. He was well. A, well he was. He was. A, he was a big reader, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, oh. Which is which is where you know that's how you build a vocabulary, really. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot, I, you wouldn't believe it, but I used to have to spend a lot of time in Waterstones buying 10, 12, 15 books at a time. And to, would you? Would you? Would you have a specific list, or would you? Or would you be well, allowed it, to be? It'd normally, be yeah, it would normally be listed or whatever had been recommended by a certain author. There was a lot of obviously military history books. Yeah, um, a lot of military history books. I learned an awful lot about nineteen thirty to nineteen fifty uh, European history. That Lem um, specialist subject. Oh, very much so. Um, you know, really enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was great actually learning something. Yeah, from especially from someone who knew so much about it as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of history which I learned, and uh, but we'd we'd regularly be out buying books, uh, you know, and he, you know, you wouldn't think about these things, but when you're flying every other day and you're packing ten books into a suitcase, all of a sudden you're starting to weigh everything down. We'd get to the end of a tour, and I was freighting home boxes of books and I bet other you, things we picked uh, up. I, I bet you couldn't get him onto a Kindle, could you? I bet he wanted the the tactile. No, thing he always the wanted the book. He always wanted the book. Um, yeah. He did. He got into using the Kindle app on the iPad for a while, but it wasn't the same. That's it. Um, yeah, yeah. 
you know, like, you know, hardback Stephen King books. Right which, there, it is. You know, yeah, yeah. Just I've got I've got two. That's that's the other one. The other one's upstairs. Um, but I just you know it was just just those kind of things would just be normal. But hardback books take up space in suitcases. Yes. Yeah. You know, you end up buying another suitcase and another suitcase and just carrying all this all this shit around, and you're like, there's so much stuff. You know, and you know the amount of things we'd pick up on tour, gifts, war memorabilia, um, alcohol, which would be sent home, you know, just piles and piles of, of goodies. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was fun just learning, you know, little things like, you know, German history, which I never would have known. Yes. Um, but yeah. you know, it was it was, it was you know it was fun. It was fun at the same time. But the, but the thing is as well is is it's again it's like it's that um, I, the kind of the juxtaposition of um, you've either got you've either got Lemmy kind of sat down reading a book, totally engrossed in it, and you know quiet as a mouse, or you've got him on stage, or you're in a casino till God knows when, and it's like yeah it's, you know yeah so it's like. You know, there's such a bizarre kind of range of of activities in there. Yeah, the only there were two or three times I actually got peace and quiet to myself, and that was when certain friends were around. And like, (laughs) uh, you know, like, um, you know, mainstay of British rock history, Crusher. Um, (laughs) Yes, we've had uh, had Crusher on. He, uh, he showed up in, he, I don't know, he might have talked about this, but he showed up in Wolverhampton on a tour once, one, my, one of my first tours. And I'm a, I'm a Tottenham fan, same as Stefan Shirazi. That's our, yeah. our mutual connection. And Stefan was at this show as well, and it was in our first season in the Champions League, so it was 2010. Um, and Stefan and I were watching the football together in the dressing room. And obviously, Lem was the world's biggest football fan. Um, as in he couldn't fucking stand it and yes. he, he just he'd, he'd walk in and he'd be like two of you fucking two of you watching Tottenham <laughs> yes Lem he goes I'm fucking glad crushes here because I'm not talking to you two cunts and just walks off <laughs> that was that was fairly fairly tame that was a you know you get a bit of downtime and he'd sit there talking shit with Crusher who's a, who's a you know good friend of mine as well and you know, it was always nice to have him give Lem someone to talk to. It wasn't just myself. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, life backstage is a limited circle of people. And, yeah. you know, you've got, obviously, you've got security in place for a reason. And you've got the people who are on the tour with you. But, you know, let's be honest, you all get sick of each other at some point. And, yes. Uh, yeah. And presumably, nice a- presumably, you would also have to manage, you'd, I mean, did you have to manage kind of like journalists and press? and interviews yes. and, and, and access like that. Was that yeah, so I, that... I, I worked obviously alongside alongside uh, the, the press manager, Uta, very closely to make sure that everything was actually happening, interviews were being done and all those kind of things. I dealt with Lem's guest list most of the time. It was, you know, never really any major issues. You know, we knew who was coming out to shows normally well in advance and you know, that, all that kind of stuff is all part of the job. Of working yeah. with any band so looking after lems just making sure he was taken care of was was very easy um the press side of it lem did a certain amount of press because obviously everyone wants to speak to lemming um 
was always there for photo shoots, which was always a lot of fun. Um, I'll tell you what, there's, when, I, when I first moved in with Vicky, um, there was a picture of Lemmy and Vicky and her sister on the living room wall above the TV, staring at the couch. And every photo <laughs> you've ever seen of Lemmy, obviously he looks into the camera because he knows how to take a picture. Yes. And I said, that's got to go. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm like, I can't have my boss staring at me from the living room wall. Yeah, yeah. Did, go. did his eyes follow you around the room as well? Yes. <laughs> every, every picture is exactly the same. And I was like, no, it's got to go. Like, what do you mean it's got to go? I love that picture. I actually, I actually took the picture, which is funny. But it was like, it's got to go. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's, it, that picture is still in the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> And I'm like, it's never coming out. It's never going back on the wall. Um, I have, I have a few few nice things of Lem's on the wall. I, I, he, as you know, he's done a lot of the all the all the scribbly notes on the artwork for a number of years. Yeah, you know, little illustrations that he did. Well, you know, I'll, I'll send you pictures of these as well, which you can use. Um, pictures which he did at a hotel in Switzerland. Um, just him doodling. And then, you know, that kind of that can go on the wall. A picture of Lemmy staring at me with my wife next to him. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I like the fact I picked up my wife backstage at a motorhead gig off my own back without his help. And, uh, it, you know, it's not one which, uh, no, the living room wall picture had to go straight away, I'm afraid. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. So, by the sounds of it, um, I mean, this is going to sound pretty crass when I say it, but by the sounds of it, you, you got out at the right time, the right time for you, but also... Yes. You, you didn't I, I, to- I think at the right time for Lem as well. Um, I don't know how I would have coped because we'd become so close. Yeah. Seeing the decline in his health as it was, and I've spoken to a couple of people you know, as, as close or closer than me about this, Vicky and I actually flew out to see him in Los Angeles in the October, that was the November, just before he passed. And we went to his new apartment. We, we sat down, we watched Family Guy for like three hours, drank a bottle of wine, looked at the newest medals he'd bought. Um, had a great time. Really, really nice, relaxed afternoon and early evening and uh i didn't i was away on something else when they toured europe on that final run um and i didn't get to see him on that and then i rang him on his birthday that that winter um and he he didn't he, he really didn't sound great and uh yeah i thought he hasn't got he hasn't got much time here and then, and then he passed days later. And it, it's funny, he'd always said to me, he goes, oh, you know, I don't want to be doing this when I was fucking 70 anyway. And I, it, it, what's funny is I genuinely believe that when I was 70, I would still be hanging out with Lemon. Yeah. I'm 40 now, so I genuinely believe <laughs> in 30 years' time, I would still be hanging out with Lem. Yeah. Because that was just who he was. He was, you couldn't kill him. Yeah. You know, not a chance. Um, but I genuinely believe he just went when he, when he found out his uh, his health situation. I reckon he went oh, fuck this. 
and he just stopped. I I, I genuinely believe he just turned himself off because he was like, (laughs) no, I don't need to live like that. Yeah. And uh, because he, he, he was just so in control of everything in his life. Yeah. I reckon he just, no, I'm done. I've, I've done what I needed to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he used to, he used to complain to me that, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't the man. He, he wished that I'd been working with him 25 years earlier. Then, he had seen, then I'd have seen what he was really like on stage when he was a whirlwind and running around the stage like a, like a, like a Tasmanian devil is how he described it. And he goes, now I go out and I stand next to that mic and I give it my all and I feel like I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm giving it as much as I should. I was like, then yeah. you go out there every night and you, you deliver a bang, amazing show. 99 times out of 100. Yeah. So, you know, you can't, you can't fault that. You know, his work, like, you know, you talk about his work ethic with fans, his work ethic for that band, everything he did from rehearsals to, to videos on stage. He lived and breathed. Everything was about a professional delivery of what he believed in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking when you were saying that about that, that, like you're saying the dedication to you know to the fans um and and that that feeling of well it's not it's it's you know i'm not i'm not doing the show i'm not presenting the show that i used to be able to so therefore it's less yeah um that's that's a level of introspection that you just don't get from artists no and he was so serious about every single show like we had to cancel a show in norway once because you know, Motorhead European Tour, December. It was over in Bergen, this show. And they'd had like four foot of snow that day. So the road was screwed. There was no other way to get there. It's like, yeah, if we cancel that show, those fans won't be able to go. And it's like, it's one show. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've known bands blow off shows for far lesser excuses than four feet of snow on a road. Absolutely. Especially in Europe, like, we, you know... Europe, we certainly don't see the snow that like Midwest America gets, but like you know, four foot overnight on a tour bus, you're not going to do it. You're not going to get there. So you're not yeah. going to get to the show. Then you're at risk of being stuck there and not getting to the next show. But the the thought of cancelling that show for him was just, oh, I can't do it. I can't just cancel shows out. We don't cancel shows. We're Motorhead. Yeah. So like, well, we, we come back and we do it again. Okay, all right, fine. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll, we'll definitely do it on the next run, which we which we did. So, but he would he'd never cancel anything. You know, if he if he's committed to something, it was being done. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there's, 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 you know that level of commitment, but his his commitment to the crew, his commitment to the management, everything was like that. It was always one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. It was great. So it was it was a pleasure working for him. Um, it was more of a pleasure becoming his friend and being trusted by him. Yeah, it sounds like um, it sounds like a, a kind a, an experience that obviously you'll never forget. But it's nope. also but also that you you know you've learned and gained so much. Oh yeah, um, I learned I learned an awful lot about how to treat people by working for Lemmick, like he would a lot, tolerate a lot of people say that a lot of people say that he um he taught me to be a better human without a doubt i i had i had my faults i was 
constantly trying to make sure that everybody was happy around me and make sure that I never let people down. And Lemmy was like, sometimes you've got to let people down. You've got to say, no, don't overcommit. And I made a, I made a fatal mistake on a UK tour where I'd left his jacket in a hotel room. And um, he, he knew I'd done it. And I'd, I'd rung my mum, actually, who lived 45 minutes from Southampton. I said, I need you to get down to Southampton. I need you to get this jacket and I need it driven to wherever it was, Wolverhampton or Leicester or somewhere 200 miles away the next day. I said, I need this done. I need it for like lunchtime at the latest. So anyway, he gets, he gets to the venue and the jacket's hanging up in the wardrobe. And he just turns around to me and went, you think I didn't know you left it in Southampton? (laughs) (laughs) How? How do you know this? You have to know everything. He goes, the fact you fixed it is amazing. But he goes, I do want to know if you'd have owned up to it. (laughs) And I said, (laughs) luckily I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, He's like, yeah, all right, you've got away with this one. You've got that one. Um, but I think that the biggest, the biggest lesson he ever taught me was um, we're in South America and my only sort of real dealings with his uh, extracurricular supplies was I'd hold them when he was on stage. You know, it was, I'd give him back. I'd, I'd hold him while he was on stage. I'd give him back to him as soon as he was off and that was fine. And yeah. We, we get to the hotel that night. He's like, oh, where's my stuff? I'm like, well, I haven't got it. I gave it back to you. No, no, you've definitely... I haven't, but okay. He was in a, he was in a foul mood. We're flying the next day. And Len was one of these people. He, he was never drunk. He was never high. He was always perfectly level. And as long as he stayed perfectly level, my job was easy. And I, I, I spoke to Eddie and I said, well, nothing we can do. You have to wait until we can get some more. So we've got two days off Chile, I think it was. And he's, he's been an absolute asshole for two days. And I, and I can say that about him. He was an absolute arse. He was giving me shit. He was giving everybody shit. We've tried to level him out, tried to keep him rational and sane and, the end of the second day, I get this phone call. Come up to my room. I'm either getting fired or the world's ending. So it's the same yeah. thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I'm sorry. Look me in the eyes. I'm sorry. I uh, found my speed. What? Sorry? Goes, yeah, I stuck it in a book inside the hardback. I knew we were traveling. Oh, no. And I put it there. I put it there for everyone's safety and he goes i've been an absolute ass to you so you've got you've got one on me you know if, if you ever need to <laughs> claw one because who else do i need to apologize to and i'm like well, eddie eddie definitely deserves an apology because he's pretty fed up with you and i said oh probably he said yeah send eddie up when you when you when you head out and tim butcher goes, tim butcher tim butcher's been my best friend for 35 years fuck him <laughs> So, like, so the one time that Lemmy was a complete, and I, when he, I, I 
I, I told this story to a couple of people when he passed. Um, and every, everyone's got a story about how Lemmy was the nicest guy in the world. And he was. Uh, yeah. He genuinely was the nicest guy in the world. And um, <laughs> one time he's an asshole, And he was an asshole. He rings me up. He brings me to his room to apologise to me as a man face to face. Yeah. He wasn't prepared to do it by text or email or phone call. He wanted to apologise to my face. Yeah. So even when he's an asshole, he's still a bigger man than me. He's still having he's, the balls to apologise. Even though he's been an arsehole, he he manages to apologise in a classy way that makes you yeah. forget about all of that time he was an arsehole. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and I love I love the story because it was just that was who he was. There's you know yeah. if if someone came to me and said they had a bad experience with him, I'd probably say they're lying. Or I'd say you caught him on a very rare off day. Yeah. Like, you know, various different musicians, crew guys will tell you amazing stories. Uh, Mark Workman, who worked for Slayer and Testament and Machine Head for a long time, his favourite story was when he was doing lights for Slayer um, and Motorhead were playing with them. And Lemmy walks into the venue at like nine in the morning in a pair of Daisy Duke denim hot pants holding a newspaper and just says, where's the shitter? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and and, and Mark Mark will tell the story far better than I will because he was just, he was programming lights at the time and he's just like, well, you can't unsee that. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone's got an amazing story. I mean, you could could probably pull together three or four hours of people who have if you put out a calling car, a casting call for anyone got a story about Lemmy, I'm sure that the anecdotes would last forever. Well, we're in, we're into quite a number of episodes now. And, um, and everyone has spoken to has, has, has um, uh, mentioned like bits and pieces of what you've said, like everybody said about, you know, the reading, um, but the, the through line of everything, you know, if Lemmy's got a story, I mean, um, Ace told a great story about it was just uh, when they when they played Brixton Academy and Lemmy came into the dressing room, um, you know, when he was playing there with Skunk and um, and it was just after the smoking ban. And yeah. um, and he comes up to Ace and he goes, oh my God, and he goes, smoking ban. Sorry. He, he goes, can I can I smoke in here? And, um, and Ace goes, well, you know, Lemmy, you know, the, the laws just changed. And he just went, that's their rules. What are yours? <laughs> and, and he's like. Oh fucking smoke! <laughs> this was this was something Emma dealt. Emma dealt with this every day. Like she'd go into the dressing rooms. First thing she would do, she'd put shower caps over the smoke alarms in every dressing room. Brilliant! Because it was just—it's <laughs> going to happen. He, yeah. he is going to smoke in here. Um, you know, it was always going to happen. Yeah. It was <laughs> never. Could you imagine my life? If I had to take Lemmy outside for a cigarette every eight minutes, <laughs> we'd never get anything done. You'd never have put that weight on. No, the press wouldn't get done. The signing stuff yeah. wouldn't get done. The photos with fans wouldn't get done. To be honest, I doubt the fucking show would have got done. But <laughs> just, you know, you, you sit there and like, the, smoke, the smoking thing was definitely fine. He used to tell me stories about how, Oh, and you still had to smoke on a plane. And you had a smoking section, non-smoking section. Like that makes a fucking difference. Like you just sit there and be like, "It is what it is." Um, so yeah, little things like that. You know, the, the smoking thing was 
yeah, we, we dealt with it with hotels. Like he is going to smoke in the hotel room. Yeah. It is what it is. You know, suck it up. Um, you know, we'll pay the cleaning charge if there is one, but like generally like it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of anecdotes and, you know, there's, there's more and more I could, could regale you with just, uh, it's a case of choosing the right ones to. Yeah, I know. I t- well, I'll tell you what, Alan, look, uh, this has been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I can't thank you enough. Yeah. And I've got a funny feeling. I see a part two of this interview in your future. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have done this job without Eddie, Emma and Victor. Yeah. Like, that's the, sounds... You don't realise, like, you know, how close you get when you're doing this job for any band. But without those guys, the job would have been impossible. And Tim Butcher as well. Like Tim was a great, great sounding bat for me. Like if I was having problems with Lem at any point, I could go to Tim and say, Tim, like, how do I, you know, how do I, how do I do this? What do yeah. I do in this situation? Because he'd been there forever, you know. Yeah. And that, that was the other thing, like that the family feel around that camp. You know, any other crew guys you speak to will tell you that, that it was a family. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well. This has been great, man. I can't thank no, you. I've enjoyed it. It's been, it's, it's been nice talking about some of this stuff. So. Oh, good, good. And I'm and, sure, I'm sure people listening will be will just be, you know, so pleased that you've you've. I, you know, if anyone wants this. to hit me up with with questions, they can hit me on my Instagram, which is just Alan Hungerford. You know, they, they, I'll always answer things. Oh, that's um, awesome. That's awesome. And I'll, I'll you. send you a couple of pictures over which you can use for your promo, just little things. Yes, please um, do. Please do. That'd be yeah, awesome. It's, uh, this has been fun. Good. Thank you. And as always, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did doing it. Um, We really whiled away a couple of hours, to be honest, because we were talking both sides of actually doing the interview. Um, And um, yeah, just really enjoyed it. And part two, what do you think? Let me know via social media, via all of the all of the um, uh, Motorhead social channels. Um, I'm usually tagged in all of the posts that go out. So, um, yeah, let me know what you think. Um, let me know what guests you've really enjoyed so far. And if there's any other guests you'd like to come back on. Um, so that's it for another show. Uh, yet again, I have to thank you all for listening. Um, and I just have to always mention the great support from everybody um it's honestly the the feedback has been really really just fantastic so can't thank you enough for that um i'm going to keep doing this and please please keep spreading the word because you are the motorhead motorcast podcast army um and you're doing a great job spreading the word please continue to do so subscribe if you haven't already and i'll see you next time on the official motorhead podcast the motorcast I don't show you greed. The only gun I need is the ace of spades. The ace of spades.